Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week. Going to guide you gently through another show and really, really pleased to have our guest with us this week. It's a member of our Health Influencer 30 list, which we unveiled last week. And it's Erica Jefferson, who's Associate Commissioner for External Affairs at the FDA. Erica, really great to have you on the show and welcome to the PR Week podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, really looking forward to chatting. Not not much happening over the last 18 months, was there? So, you know, we, we won't have much to not- talk about. <laughs> um, all right, Frank's here as well. Frank Washcook, our executive editor. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. It's good to be in the office with you today. It is, yeah, um, it is. Yeah, we're all trying to work through that part of the equation as well. So when we've spoken to Erica, we'll talk about the COP26 uh, conference that's still ongoing and um, Edelman getting dinged a little bit about its work with fossil fuel clients. Um, So we'll discuss that and the issues around that and some recent leaders, actually, from Edelman, including Deirdre Latour. Um, We'll talk about the PR Week Hall of Fame, which uh, is upcoming on December the 6th. It's going to be an in-person event in New York, but we put a feature out this week with a QA and a around that. We'll also just quickly chat about the the Women of Distinction program, which uh, has opened up. And uh, that's now open for entries. You would have known that as the Hall of Fame. We've rebranded that. We'll talk about the fallout from the Astroworld tragedy and uh, the reputation implications for brands involved with that. And Aaron Rodgers, his starts on vaccinations has been in the news this week. We'll chat about that. But first of all, let's start with you, Erica. So just give us a sense for what what's an average day, if there is indeed one, for the, uh, you know, the the Commissioner for External Affairs at the FDA, um, especially over the last 18 months. You know, how how's the job been and, and, and what's, what does an average day involve for you? Sadly, uh, Steve, there is not really an average day uh, at FDA. Uh, we kind of have to take uh, the challenges as they come to us. But what I will say is I typically uh, start my day on a leadership call uh, with the rest of the principals from around the agency. Uh, Dr. Janet Woodcock, who's our acting commissioner, will typically go through her thoughts of the day. Um, I actually will report out on what we expect in terms of news uh, coming out of the agency for the day. And then there's a bit of a round robin. Um, From there, I usually head into a series of one-on-ones with either agency leadership or some folks from my team. So we're talking about whatever given announcements that we're planning for. Um, sometimes I'm checking in with uh, the Department of Health and Human Services, um, of which FDA is a part of, and we're talking about uh, the same type of news. Um, so honestly, it's a lot of just trying to keep uh, abreast of things that are happening around the agency and doing what we can to prepare for what might be coming around the corner. Yeah. And tell us about the sort of the phases, I guess, of the last 18 months where obviously we went through the the COVID experience and, and all that that entailed health emergency throughout the country. Um, we've gone into the sort of vaccination phase and then we're now yeah. sort of getting into a more of an in-person phase where people are starting to travel again um, and thinking yeah. about booster shots and maybe other drugs coming down the pipe. You know, they're going to be pills, for example. Talk us through the different 
parts of that, and especially take us back to the start of the COVID response and how the FDA sort of clicked into action from a communications point of view. So in the interest of full disclosure, I actually joined, um, rejoined, I should say, FDA in April of 2021. Um, but my team has really been on the front lines uh, since the very beginning. I have a, a really uh, experienced and seasoned group of individuals here who've really been um, at the forefront uh, of the, the government's respond and response and particularly the FDA's. And so I think early days, if you were to talk to one of them, uh, it was a lot of just trying to understand what this was. Um, they were sent home like everyone else in March of 2020. Um, and so my team has been virtual uh, since I joined uh, the agency. And so that's presented its own unique challenges. Um, but early days for them really were trying to figure out what exactly COVID-19 was and sort of what it meant. Um, and then working with our partners from around the government to really figure out, okay, will there be a path forward um, in terms of therapeutics, uh, obviously vaccines, um, and how we could work with companies to expedite that as quickly as possible. I'm sure uh, everyone is familiar with a little program called Operation Warp Speed. FDA um, played a pretty pivotal role in that. And so um, the communicators on my team uh, obviously supported the FDA into that, which was really just helping to lay out what type of criteria um, and really guidelines the agency would need to expedite the availability of uh, vaccines for COVID-19 as well as therapeutics. So, um, you know, early days, it was a lot of just trying to figure out what was happening um, and then working with companies to figure out a path forward. I would say fast forward to 2021, um, and a lot of our efforts have really been once we've authorized uh, both vaccines and some of the therapeutics, namely the monoclonal antibodies, um, making sure that there's accurate um, and timely information available to the public um, around these vaccines. Obviously, there's been a lot made of how quickly they came together. And so, you know, my team and I have really been focused on um, sort of, you know, demystifying, um, you know, concerns that people have around the speed um, with which these vaccines uh, were produced um, and making sure that folks know that, you know, they are safe and effective for the intended use, which is to prevent uh, COVID-19. So you would, I mean, I'm sure members of your team will have uh, had very different experiences, obviously, with a new yeah. administration coming in right. January with different different approaches to a job and then the different stages of the of the, um, you know, the fight against this, this horrible disease. Where would you say we're at now then? Because we've, you know, if, we're still, there's still a lot of misinformation out there, isn't there? And there's still yeah. a lot of, and a lot of just, you know, scepticism about um, vaccines in general from populations who maybe haven't had a great experience in the past. And, you know, I know health equity is something that's close to your heart. Talk us a bit through yeah. that and how you sort of how you're messaging now to encourage as many people as possible to get vaccinated so that we can you know, finally get rid of this thing. Well, I would say, you know, unfortunately, we're probably not where we would like to be, um, but we are making incredible progress in terms of convincing um, people to get vaccinated um, every single day. I think, you know, we were up um, significantly. I thought I think I saw a statistic recently that we were up, you know, two million um, new vaccinations uh, over the past week. Um, someone might want to verify that for me because I'm looking at numbers every single day. Um, but I think we, for our part, 
um, are really trying to continue to make sure that um, folks have the latest and greatest um, information. Obviously, we just recently authorized uh, the Pfizer uh, BioNTech vaccine for five to 11 year olds. And so there was a great deal of information that the team and I worked with um, the center, the Center for Biologics uh, Evaluation and Research to make available because we knew parents would have a lot of questions um, about a vaccine that hasn't been around that long um, and a patient population that is that young. So I think from our you know, point of view, we want to make sure that we're pushing out as much information as possible. Um, we're fortunate to have really great spokespeople um, and Dr. Woodcock and Dr. Peter Marks, who's the head of that center, um, who are also parents um, and are always happy to talk about their experience and sort of what they would do, um, helping us really push the message. I think we really focused on transparency and accessibility um, with regard to how we talk about these vaccines. So a lot of the times you'll see Dr. Wilcox and Dr. Marks on, on camera. Uh, we've done a lot of our press conference, conferences streaming on YouTube because we believe that people should see um, the faces, you know, with those names. Um, plain language has been something that we've really been, um, you know, trying to emphasize. I'm a big believer uh, in meeting people where they are. And so, you know, I think as a result, um, we've been using social media a lot more to provide information on the vaccines, but also to combat um, misinformation. You know, we're seeing some success here. Um, you know, we all know the pros and cons of social media, but it's definitely a space that we need to be in right now, and particularly since so many um, people consume um, the information that they know around these vaccines and therapeutics um, from their social media feeds. And so we really put an emphasis on making sure that we're there. Um, you know, we have a presence on Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, as well as Instagram. And so, you know, you'll see um, some of the, the vaccine information mixed in with some of the other announcements that are coming out um, from the agency. But, you know, we feel pretty good about the success we've had in sort of combating some of the misinformation out there, particularly around um, products like ivermectin. Yeah. How, do you, how much can you get involved with sort of the TV communications and, you know, working with agencies to help you get messages out there? Or is that more in other parts of the organization? Tell us a bit about that, how that works and what tools you've got at your disposal to get, get the messaging out there. So we are unique in that we don't actually work with any outside agencies. So the strategy, all of the communications messaging that you see is completely developed in-house by the communications experts on my team, but certainly done uh, in collaboration with uh, folks from around the agency. So, you know, I know that's a unique experience uh, for a lot of folks because everyone's used to having an agency um, at their disposal. Uh, and in my prior uh, life, I had agencies at my disposal as well. Uh, but that's not the case here at FDA. So everything you see coming out um, of the agency is 100% organic um, and developed by the team and I. Yeah. And you, your background is in sort of biotech and professional societies. And you worked at a crisis agency, I think, yourself. Where, where, do, you get your, where do your team members come from? Do they have similar sorts of backgrounds or are they a mix? <laughs> Yeah, they do. They're actually a great mix. So the head of our um, press office is currently um, Michael Felberbaum, and he's actually a former uh, Associated Press reporter. I actually recruited him uh, to the agency the first time I was here as a career employee. Um, but we also have folks that came from agencies, um, other government agencies, 
And I think that I think that is the representative mix that we have at the moment. So um, we really try our best to sort of bring in um, the best and the brightest. Obviously, we have some hiring restrictions um, that that Uncle Sam um, puts into place, but it's a really talented group uh, that has a very diverse background. So I think that allows us to to definitely bring different perspectives to the table as we're talking about uh, the various communication strategies that we need to employ at the agency. Yeah. And and looking to the future, you know, we've heard about uh, potential pills, for example, from Moderna and (laughs) Pfizer that might think they could be game changers possibly, but they don't seem to be getting as much. There's there's not as many stories about that as maybe you would expect. Where where do you think that's what's the sort of procedure for those uh, treatments and how do you think things are going to play out over the next few months? So we have uh, recently um, received uh, applications with the, which the companies have disclosed from both Merck, uh, Ridgeback, and Pfizer. Um, and so, you know, I suspect you're probably not hearing as much because everyone's sort of waiting to hear what FDA has to say about those. And uh, we've announced uh, recently that we're going to be taking the Merck Ridgeback product uh, to an advisory committee. So that will be the first time that we're taking um, any COVID-19 therapeutic, including the monoclonals, to an advisory committee. And obviously, um, we have a lot more experience uh, taking uh, the vaccine products through advisory committees because uh, we, we work with CDC and their, their panel of advisors to make recommendations on the clinical treatment uh, with, with those vaccines. So I think you'll hear more um, in the months ahead. I think, you know, we are um, cautiously optimistic um, as we are with everything that we regulate here uh, at the agency that there'll be um, hopefully another tool uh, in our arsenal um, as we really seek to kind of bring the COVID-19 pandemic to an end. Yeah, and we're seeing travellers starting to come back in. To, I know my own home country, the UK, the first planes were sort of coming in this yeah. week with visitors, including friends and family of mine, actually. So, um, I mean, that's great. But I guess there's also the danger there that you're going to have more more of a spread uh, yeah. you know, with people coming in. And that's inevitable, isn't it? Especially in a city like New York, where we are, or to DC, where you that's are. Right. Um, how do we sort of make sure that we don't sort of get another spike in, in COVID and that we, we sort of, I mean, we can't 100% guarantee anything, but what, what are the sort of things we need to be doing to make sure we stay on top of this? I think the, the single most important thing that we continue to recommend to folks is if you have not been vaccinated, please, please, please um, go out uh, and get vaccinated. You know, that that we know is, is going to be um, one of the determining factors in terms of how quickly um, we, we get out of this pandemic. Um, I still wear a mask. Um, if you sit in any federal building, I'm actually calling you from uh, the office today. Um, we're required to be in a mask. And so, um, you know, ensuring that you continue to mask up, particularly when you're um, in environments that are enclosed or around large groups of people, I think is going to be sort of like another um, important tool for, for us to help, you know, get out of this situation that we're currently in and that we've been in for a while. Um, I'm, I'm like everyone else, but, you know, I want this to come to an end. I'm used to spending a lot of time on airplanes. Um, And, you know, I think we're um, hopeful uh, that if folks get vaccinated and, you know, we continue to, you know, practice safe, uh, safe procedures uh, like masking up, um, we'll be able to hopefully get out of this pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, but let's hope so. And just to finish, 
obviously the FDA is not just about COVID. There's a hundred thousand other things on your agenda. What did it, <laughs> what it, I mean, we've kind of forgotten about that, haven't it? We're a little bit. What else is on your um, sort of to-do list at the moment? And, and was there a danger that things would sort of get lost between the cracks with such a focus on one thing? Well, thanks for giving me an opportunity to talk about all of the wonderful things that, that FDA does on, on behalf of the American public. And I really think that sometimes we think of ourselves as a global public health and regulatory agency. So, you know, we, re we regulate uh, 20 cents of every dollar um, in the U.S. So the portfolio is fairly broad here. People might not know, um, in addition to drugs, medical devices, biologics, um, food products. We also regulate tobacco um, as well. And so um, we have a fairly ambitious agenda in front of us. In recent weeks, we've um, rolled out um, some guidelines around sodium. So uh, looking to reduce uh, the amount of salt that people consume in some of the processed and packaged foods that they're eating every day. Because if we've learned nothing from um, the pandemic, it, it presented us in, in sort of very stark ways uh, the inequities that exist in, in access that people had to like fresh fruits and vegetables um, during the pandemic, which we know are sort of critical um, to people being healthy. Um, we also rolled out something um, pretty significant that we hope will um, you know, increase competition, but also allow folks that might not have had the opportunity um, to have access to these sorts of devices um, access. So uh, we're looking to bring um, hearing aids over the counter. Um, so super excited about that. That was um, something that was particularly um, important to President Biden as a part of his competition executive order. Uh, so we're pleased that we were able to uh, get that proposed rule um, and guidance to manufacturers out there. Um, tobacco is one of these interesting areas uh, that we continue to, um, I would say, encounter um, unique and uh, in, in novel innovations then. Um, we're no longer just looking at traditional tobacco products. Um, we're looking at things like, you know, synthetic nicotine um, and some of the other products that are coming on the market. And certainly vaping um, is something that we continue to be concerned about uh, and are watching very closely. Um, and then I would just pivot to uh, the, the drug side of the house, the Center for uh, drug evaluation and research, there's no shortage of innovative products that are coming down the pipe that um, that team will have to consider um, in the in the months ahead. So really excited to have the opportunity to work on some non-COVID-19 uh, related uh, topics going forward. Yeah, for sure. Doing great work. And it's really good to hear a lot more about it. I suspect we could fill more than one show with with all the things you're dealing with. But great to chat, Erica, and we'll get your input on some of the topics we're going to cover now. But Frank, um, another big week for the climate change issue. The COP26 conference is ongoing in Glasgow, Scotland, but also um, one one agency in particular getting dinged about its work with ExxonMobil and fossil fuel clients. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so first, um, just want to touch on COP26 just a little bit. We're recording this on uh, Wednesday afternoon, and maybe not the biggest news of the entire conference, but a big deal in that the U.S. and China uh, have have sort of released a framework statement saying that they are going to work more closely together uh, on climate issues going forward, acknowledging that there's, uh, that there's more that they can do. So... Um, you know, that's a good sign. I, I think critics would probably say that a lot of these statements are, are pretty vague and, and don't have as many concrete goals as they should. 
Um, so that's one big thing to come out of it today. I think that in terms of uh, in terms of industry news this week, uh, a really interesting thing happened in that there was a celebrity and influencer campaign uh, in which a lot of these sort of bold-faced names signed the letter urging Edelman to stop working with fossil fuel clients. Um, now, this has been an ongoing push by um, by the the group Clean Creatives, which whose goal is to sort of uh, you know purge the advertising and creative and and PR and marketing industries of of working with oil and gas companies uh, that are focused on fossil fuels. Um, so Edelman was in the crosshairs of uh, this campaign this week, and they released a statement yesterday. Uh, asserting that they don't work, they don't do work that denies climate change, and also that they are going to use their influence with these companies uh, to really get, to to really sort of point them in the right direction and to advance sustainability uh, and try to really get them on on more of a sustainable and, and green path, so to speak. Yeah, it's a it's a conundrum, isn't it? Because uh, you know every major agency in PR and, and advertising or, or group has uh, fossil fuel clients or energy clients, and you have to make strike the balance between um, trying to move things forward and, as, as uh, Edelman said, advance sustainability and advance the evolution and revolution of their businesses, with not promoting, you know, climate denial and all that sort of things. And pressure groups like Clean Creatives, which has led this uh, push, um, are suggesting that uh, agencies shouldn't work with these clients at all. And the agents, some of the agencies are saying, well, we're trying to change things. And uh, it's still, jury's still out whether, you know, energy will become the new tobacco and uh, whether they'll just stop working with them. Um, Erica, I know you can't comment particularly on specific items but suffice to say that climate change or is a big contributor to health and um, poor health isn't it so these are all these are big issues around the world not just in the u.s absolutely all righty <laughs> you really can't comment <laughs> well, um, i know Service. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I was just going to say that I would add, though, is that, uh, you know, whether it's Edelman or whether it's a smaller agency, um, I I'm really intrigued to know how the employee base feels about this, because I think that, you know, we all know as, as employees are younger and more activist, there are all kinds of different companies that they don't feel as comfortable working with as maybe, uh, you know, prior generation might have. And that includes oil and gas, you know, might include Facebook nowadays. Um, so really interested to see how agencies deal with, uh, you know, their, their employees' comfort level with clients like this. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. And that's one Richard Edelman's made before that often they will listen to their employees uh, to decide on things like that. And uh, it used to be the case that, well, we're not going to make you work on a specific account if you're not comfortable. But now it's like, well, actually, I don't want to work for an agency that works with clients in a specific area. So, yeah, I think employee um, opinion across the board is takes on a much bigger importance than it used to, for sure. So, yeah, we'll see how that one plays out. Um, but And on Edelman, the, the Deirdre Latour is leaving. And that's the latest in the line of a few people who've moved on, either voluntary or involuntary. Yeah, that's right. And um, the big name you just mentioned, of course, is Deirdre Latour, uh, who was the president of Edelman's uh, New York office. Uh, 
Um, so we, replacing her, it's going to be a combination of people, USC, Lisa Osborne and VP of Corporate Affairs. Uh, Dave Sampson are going to be interim, uh, interim co-leads of the New York office. Um, she had not been at Edelman terribly long. She joined up in September 2020. She was a Pearson, uh, the educational publisher, where she was chief corporate affairs officer. And I think maybe best known to our readers from her time at General Electric, uh, brand very much in the news this week as it splits into three companies, uh, where she was VP and chief communications officer and senior advisor to the CEO for a few years. Yeah, that's a second go around at Edelman and uh, other levers recently. We've spoken about Russell Dubner, who's um, leaving at uh, the end of the year, I think, and uh, taking a sabbatical. And Jimmy Stone, one of their lead creatives, he's gone off to work client side. So all change at Edelman, but um, we'll see how that uh, plays out. Um, Let's talk about our Hall of Fame, Frank, because that big event's coming up on December the 6th in New York City in person. So if you haven't got your tickets for that yet, please do uh, get one because they're going fast. But uh, yeah, we did a Q&A with all the six honorees um, and uh, it's always fun to see what they uh, see the answers they come up with, isn't it? Yeah, it is a terrific uh, lineup as it is every year. Uh, You know, people who are really legends in the industry. Um, This year uh, we have JP Morgan's Managing Director of Communications, Joe Evangelisti, who was on the podcast uh, recently um, with the former CEO of Golan, Fred Cook, who is now at the USC Center for Public Relations. We have Karen Kahn uh, of HP, Hano Cabrera of General Mills, and Zeno Group's uh, Barbie Siegel. The Q&A is, um, it's, it's really interesting. You should, uh, you should check it out. Um, but I'll, I'll go back to Joe for a second because we, we had him on the podcast recently and it was good to see him at the 40 under 40 event, uh, a few weeks ago in New York too. Um, but you know, this is somebody who, who, who's really a legend in the industry. And he, uh, he talked on the podcast and he also talks in this Q and a about, uh, attitudes towards, um, the LGBTQ community changing throughout his career. Uh, and when he came out and, and his experiences with that, but also, you know, the, the founding principles that, that he went into the industry with and how they are still useful uh, to him today. And, you know, such a fast moving and social media driven environment and all of the Q&As are great. You should check them out. They're on our website. Yeah, there's a mixture of serious stuff. Why, you know, what would you advise young people coming into the profession, um, as well as a bit of fun, like what's your favorite drink? Who would you have dinner with? People living and dead, sports teams, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Fred Cooks is quite amusing. You know, he's what advice would you give young PR pros? And he, his was to always ask for more money, which I'm sure will go down really well at Golin, where <laughs> Fred is chairman emeritus. So, but uh, yeah, Fred's a great. Uh, great uh, mentor to so many people in the interest industry as are all of the honorees so we're looking forward to celebrating with them and just a quick note we we launched our call for entries for the women of distinction program which is the rebranded name for our hall of fame we've retired the hall of fame name so it's now called women of distinction same purpose different name so uh we want to honor uh women of who of high achievement in the industry as well as women to watch so uh, the younger up and coming people who are really blazing a trail as well as those mentors who uh, have uh, 
you know, been uh, role models for women in, in the PR industry, of which we know 80% of the industry is female. So do look out for that. Um, Astro World, Frank, that was a terrible tragedy this weekend um, at the Travis Scott concert. And um, lots of questions around that, obviously, but also um, brands being uh, their involvement with um with Travis Scott and and with the event in general are sort of facing some reputational challenges here. Yeah, there's going to be a theme with uh, these last few stories, and it's about the the unexpected risks of collaborating or endorsing or working with a celebrity. Um, but with Travis Scott, it's after there were there was a crowd surge uh, at Astroworld World Fest on Friday. Uh, eight people were left dead, more than 300 injured, uh, including two teenagers who were, were 14 and 16. Um, but the brands that work uh, with Travis Scott include McDonald's, Anheuser-Busch, General Mills, Sony, uh, and Epic Games, which is the owner of Fortnite. Um, and Fortnite was the first brand to uh, halt sales of the the Travis Scott out West emote, which is a character uh, dance move and, and pulled it from the platform. Um, and also short film and content production company, Mega 64 said it would terminate its collaboration with Scott um, on a cross platform uh, viral content on Twitter. So, um, you, you know, I think one thing it reinforces is that that is always a bit of risk to working with celebrities. Uh, you never know uh, what could happen or uh, you never know what they might say. Um, and so, you know, brands have to weigh these partnerships carefully. Yeah, they do. I mean, I don't think anyone's suggesting necessarily that it's Travis and Scott fault that this happened, but it was was certainly an unfortunate incident. And uh, there the needs to be more safeguards at live events like that um, to make sure these things don't happen. And the, the people react a bit quicker because it sounds like the, you know, the concert was ongoing while people were dying. So um, that, that was obviously not great. But just coming on to the next story, you're talking about brand uh, influences. Aaron Rodgers, his stance on vaccinations has been in news uh, this week, and that's also it impacts um, an influencer like him. His views on on the vaccine uh, obviously uh, impact a lot of people, but also uh, some brands, um, big high profile brand tie ups with him, where we've been hearing from them. Uh, talk us through that one. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> the Aaron Rodgers part of this is almost one of those where where to start. Uh, stories because it's a lot was said um, on this interview he did with uh, with Pat McAfee last week um, in, in which there was a lot of misinformation about uh, vaccines and potential side effects and you know whether or not he was allergic to them but it, it all goes back to the idea that uh, when he was in uh, when he was in training camp and practicing with the team months ago, I mean, he really it told a whopper of a lie, saying that he was inoculated uh, from uh, against COVID nineteen. You know, insinuating to reporters uh, uh, that that he was vaccinated when he really was not. Um, and then when he did the interview with Pat McAfee, I mean, he, he never took ownership of that. And he, he blamed a lot of other people. I think he's, you know, he said like he, he felt he was on the wrong end of a witch hunt and, and all of these things. But, uh, you know, he never actually took responsibility for fibbing in the first place, uh, which only, you know, dug the hole deeper. And then he kept talking for an hour and that, that made it much more deeper than it was before. So uh, he, he then did a follow up interview with McAfee in which he expressed a bit more contrition 
really never apologized, though, but, but you know, said at least he was going to work towards uh, taking responsibility for what happened. Um, so um, a, a local uh, healthcare company that he had a partnership with in Wisconsin dropped him as 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 a uh, endorsee, and I I have to imagine that was the only move that that company could have done because I can't see how a healthcare company uh, could continue to work with somebody who has those opinions on on vaccination and on COVID nineteen. Uh, there's probably no other way to go forward there. Now, State yeah, what about Farm, State Farm? Yeah, tell us about well, State, State Farm. Well, State Farm is sticking with him. State Farm is, is sticking with him. But I'm interested to see going forward how much he is going to continue to be front and center in their ads because they may they may continue to, you know, technically work with him. But is he going to continue to be the star of, of their commercials? I think that is a, a whole other question. Yeah, they definitely took the rotation down, didn't they, on Saturday? Um, considerably so. Uh, uh, that, that was telling in, in its own right and well, probably very sensible as well, <laughs> given the story. Erica, you know, the, the issue of influencers in general is is a big topic, isn't it? In communications these days, it's a, it can be a really effective way of getting messages across. We saw the distance dance and Charlie D'Amelio, for example, last year, you know, got, got to billions of people around the world and with positive messaging. But, it, you know, there can also be a negative side to influencers if something goes wrong or if the uh, if the person, you know, says something problematic. So how, how do you approach that at the FDA in terms of your comms well, activities? Well, I will first say um, the, the Aaron Rodgers um, situation is the perfect example of what FDA has been confronting over the last several months. I mean, this is an example of somebody who definitely comes across as smart and well-meaning, um, but that is, you know, obviously fallen victim to some misinformation. And so, you know, I think um, this is what we've been confronting and trying to overcome. Um, you know, we've been very delicate in terms of how we've um, attempted to sort of message at people like this who I think, you know, have legitimate, you know, questions and, and we're seeking to provide um, the appropriate answers. But, you know, I think here this is a perfect example of, you know, be truthful uh, and follow the rules. I think this week we had a lot of conversations internally around the difference between vaccinated versus immunized. Exactly. Right. So that's something that we've had to confront. But I think to your question around the use of influencers. So, you know, in prior roles, I've, I've certainly worked um, with celebrities on, on campaigns before. And we definitely did our due diligence because I was working for biotech you know, healthcare companies. And so you want to make sure that that person, um, you know, appropriately, um, rep, you know, uh, represents your brand. Um, and I will say, you know, we've actually, um, you know, dipped our toe in the water a little bit in terms of how we engage with celebrities on uh, social media from the FDA's accounts. Um, you know, people like Conan O'Brien, George Takai, and Ellen have all been uh, big proponents of, of vaccination. And so, you know, we've been sure uh, to like those tweets, engage with them, um, and, you know, show a little bit of the humor um, that we have in terms of how we see um, the role that we have in terms of engaging with uh, influencers as a regulatory agency. Yeah, it's a whole new way, isn't it, of um, communicating, yeah. and it's really powerful, but, you know, it, need, it needs slightly different skills maybe than a traditional press release or the old school sort of media relations. So uh, we, we talk about that a lot at PR Week and uh, best practice, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, interesting stuff. All right. Well, listen, Erica, it was fantastic having you on the show, and um, 
for, thank you basically to everyone at the FDA for all the hard work that you've done over the last 18 months. Well, and, and, and in general, you know, I think uh, essential work, um, if ever there was. And uh, just so you know, everybody appreciate Well, we certainly appreciate it anyway. So thank you so much for coming on and telling us about it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And Frank, always a pleasure. Well done on the marathon run. Uh, thank you. Four thank hours you. and nine minutes. Great run. Yes. And, thank you very uh, much. Saw you at the bottom of our road in Brooklyn and uh, in looking in good form. So well done on that again. And we're, we saw the duck as well. The duck uh, <laughs> running with his little socks on. What's it called? Um, the real star of the... Yeah. Well, so the uh, it, was, it was a good fun day. Great day. Um, don't forget the Hall of Fame event. It's on December the 6th and that's in New York City. So make sure you get your tickets for that. And uh, Women of Distinction, it's open for entries. Check it out on the website and uh, get, your, uh, get those brilliant uh, women and women to watch. Uh, into the system. But that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.